0: I'm Elizabeth Hicks, a law student at the University of Toronto. You're listening to the JCR, a Massey podcast, where people and ideas intersect. In this episode, I'm joined by two of my fellow junior fellows, Robbie Steele and Zahida Ramtala. This is a conversation about theatre. Our expectations and our experiences as theater goers and theater makers. We dive into opinions on narrative structure and theatrical techniques like direct address. We also discuss how the pandemic and recent social movements have affected storytelling for the stage. Later in the episode, we speak about a play called My Sister's Rage, which premiered at Tarragon Theater in the fall of 2022 and was written and directed by Anishinabe Ojibwe and South Asian playwright Yolanda Bonnell. It's a story about three generations of a family coming together and grappling with past traumas in the wake of their grandmother's hospitalization. In Tarragon's words, My sister's rage is a story about the nuances of holding grief and joy at the same time, and how laughter is medicine. We'll tell you a little about ourselves and then launch into the discussion. Thank you for joining us.
1: My name is Robbie Steele. I am a uh, PhD student in the English Literature Department at um, the University of Toronto, Uh, and I specialize in 19th century British literature and temporality, specifically how that affected the novel form in the uh, mid-19th century. So I'm coming to theater with not much of a background in um, play studies or in theater studies, um, but uh, have been an avid theater goer. Um, And so I'm coming to this from both a literary background and a sort of theater background, a theater attendee background.
2: Hi, uh, my name is Zahid Aramdula and I'm an MA student in adult education. Um, And my thesis is looking at creating adult education training programs for diverse actors over the age of 55 Um, and um, I'm also a playwright and uh, my first two plays are going up this year one in November in Vancouver through a workshop production with Playwrights Theatre Centre and one in March through Touchstone Theatre also in Vancouver and um, besides that I also attend the theatre especially in the last few years I didn't grow up going to the theatre but I uh, when I became a playwright, started watching plays, I guess that's how it worked. Um, and I uh, have been going a lot in uh, Toronto, especially the last few years since there's, um, or especially this year since there's a lot happening. And uh, that's me. And I'm Elizabeth Hicks. Uh, I'm
0: from Newfoundland and Labrador. And I'm an actor for theater and also a playwright. And uh, I'm at U of T studying law. Which doesn't seem to be related to plays, but fortunately, you know, living at Massey College and getting to hang out with people like you, and also, you know, there's a lot of arts-based programming here at Massey, so I feel fortunate to be able to stay connected uh, in that way. I think the first thing that we should talk about is, what's your favorite type of play? Like, when you go to see a show, what are you hoping the vibes will
2: be? For me, I'm a big fan of structure and the narrative play. I'm so guilty of that. And um, I, so I do honestly like a story with a beginning, middle, and end, and that follows like an arc, unless um, I've seen, I think I've seen some, Plays or movies that are like a bit more experimental and that don't necessarily do that. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <sir>, go ahead.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. I am also, um, you know, uh, I'm a structured person. <laughs> I like a, I like a structured play. But I also, I think there's a lot of interest, um, or I'm interested in sort of plays that. Um, engage the audience in different ways, not necessarily. I don't love to be put on the spot in a play, but I I, I love to feel like um, I am part of an experience going to a play, which I think is like very central to like how theater works and part of the exciting piece of it for me is that it's so uh, experiential like I am part of uh, um, this so there is a, a sort of comfort in sort of an, a narrative structure and I love to have that but um, yeah, break the proscenium march.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of plays, um, like new plays in development, that uh, are leaning into that because I think that we, as theater goers, are a lot of people are looking for that. How do I say this? Like uh, feeling like they are part of the experience, you know, whether directly or indirectly. Like that's the reason why you wouldn't just stay at home and watch Netflix, like you would go out and see a play, is because you feel like you're part of something and so i do i feel like in new plays and development sometimes you'll see people engaging with that idea but then they're not quite sure how to get beyond just the simple like you know asking a question to the audience uh rhetorically (laughs) or something uh so i feel like that device is like it's a difficult line to balance
1: i agree and i think but i think something i've just been thinking about um is how my relationship to theater has changed over the pandemic Mm. where like but prior to the pandemic um i i sort of didn't pay as much attention to the like the embodied experience like being in the theater and like how how am i experiencing the space um uh it was more so you know i was i was i was attending it from a distance or something but um i think my sort of desire to be part of a space um which hasn't happen for a few years now Mm -hmm. has sort of changed my both my experience of watching very structured plays I feel much more embedded in it having spent two years like watching plays virtually but also I think I'm much more interested in sort of the experience of that uh, involvement and what it means for me to be part of that space
2: absolutely no I think also like from the writing perspective maybe Elizabeth you'd be able to speak about this too but um I remember when the pandemic first happened i was in like a women's playwriting class and we were on zoom and everyone was like should i change my story you know now that like is is what i'm writing even going to be relevant like should i have a pandemic in the play and there was so much uncertainty uh, as to how long this would all go on for so much worry over especially theater because it would take a really long time you know film started before too um and i remember people were talking about that and someone had mentioned how like shakespeare had written through one or at least two pandemics or something and how after he um when as soon as people were allowed back into the theater they didn't want to hear about the pandemic like so it didn't really go into the plays as much because and so it's interesting now to be like coming out audiences are coming back out and um just again, also not really to see so much uh, pandemic theater, maybe later we will, you know, there'll be historical pieces or, or something about it. There's so much that we probably don't know too that should be should be theatricalized about the pandemic so so we know, but yeah, that's also yeah <laughs> Yeah,
0: no doubt. I think that there was this whole fear that if I write a play that doesn't involve the pandemic, you know, or if I make a film where no one's wearing a mask, everyone's going to know that it's set pre-2020. Yeah. And what if I want my play or my film to feel current? This is our new reality. And of course, the pandemic isn't over, but we're on a, like a different hill right now. And I think looking back on those ideas that I had too, it, yeah, it wasn't true that you had to write about the pandemic in order for it to still feel a uh, present day, you know, whatever that
1: might mean. It's also interesting the uh, other questions that the pandemic raised that not necessarily involving, you know, do we, do we, do we mask our characters or do we not mask our characters? There's also um, sort of uh, a larger social conversation that the pandemic opened in, you know, post the George Floyd movement, um, post um, a, a larger consideration of intersectional identities and how that is affected by the, the sort of Global crisis right now, uh, health crisis. A- as a as a method of processing, as much as anything else. Um, but I'm interested in seeing like like how you you two think about that.
0: I uh, I guess I'll say I think that theater and theater mm-hmm. makers in this country are uh, they're a group of people who are trying exceptionally hard to uh, consider these questions of stories that are represented, like who. Who tells the stories? And in, a, in the business of, quite literally, representation, like a, a play on a stage representing a story that's representing life, mm-hmm. um, I think the vast majority of the people that I've worked with are so on top of those conversations. Sometimes, to the point, I think, and you know, this is sort of another conversation, but um, you can get so concerned and involved with that, um, conversation of are we doing the right thing that uh, it becomes difficult to know like well, where do I go with my practice? You know, is it insensitive to make a play during the pandemic? Like in the early stages of the pandemic, that was a real question of like I was working or volunteering with a theater festival uh, where almost and the board in April of 2020 was like, should we cancel the festival? like is it insensitive? in this time when everything is falling apart to think that theater is important. And of course it is. But because I think theater makers are so committed
2: to doing the right thing, whatever that might be. I definitely feel um, what you're saying. And I I think we're at like a moment in the industry where it's kind of at its height that we've never seen before in terms of the doors being so open and companies trying to be and theater makers just trying to be so conscientious about making sure that the stages reflect the people here (laughs) which just seems simple but like hasn't really happened um and I think before the pandemic you know is getting there and there's voices calling for it but Something you know during and, and the movements that happened have really opened a huge I feel like floodgates for it and I think though I think you're right also that as we are diversifying to um, to like I I don't know I often think about like the people that were calling for change. <laughs> When, you know, back in like the 70s and 60s when it was really, and, and 80s and 90s <laughs> and early 2000s when it was really hard to to call out racism or ableism or whatever it was in those spaces and um, ensuring that like, as, ensuring that we're truly always diversifying so being conscientious about like, who's being let into the room and then who still isn't let into the room. You know that maybe we, we check the box. It looks really colorful. It looks very, um, you know, um, it looks like we have um, across several different categories are now inviting people in, but just um, making sure that um, you know, because oftentimes, like I don't see a lot of elders and uh, younger like people over 60 that maybe had wanted to or had called it out. And and then people like me that are young that are in the room <laughs> and, and benefiting. And, and yeah, I think that goes across several different um, categories, people that face barriers because they don't, like, they don't know how to write a grant or English is their second language or they're not able to because of physical or, or chronic barriers like that. So as we're doing this and as it's, like, at its height, that's something that... Um, That I that I think about, and um, and I think like the the intent in the industry is so is so there, the goodwill is so there, and it's like we're really actually there, and it's so exciting. That I don't mean at all to. It sounds like I'm trying to like. It sounds like I'm like critiquing the moment, and I, I you know I don't mean that I don't mean that, and I yeah I'm like really glad about what's happening, and then I guess as since we're having this conversation, like that's something that I feel like we can keep. All, all, of us discussing and all of us working on.
1: I, I, I think like as you both were talking, I was thinking about uh, from both of your perspectives of having having sort of worked in theater and or in theater adjacent sort of studies. Um, I'm also thinking about like what is my role as an audience member and how has that changed over the pandemic and um, thinking about how like what it means to be you know a respectful and present and engaged person in the in the audience, I think that has changed for me. Even the level of like, I wear a mask now when I go to the theater, which is not something I did before. I'm more conscientious of those around me. I'm more present in, in not just with the, with, um, you know, the, the actors, the characters, but I'm present with my fellow theater goers, um, which is an interesting, an interesting phenomenon. And I think that it also is sort of changed in what you were saying, um, Elizabeth, about the, the way that um, the levels of mediation of, of like representation, the theater being a representation of a representation, I think we've also seen like the literal setting of, of place um, change. You know, how how is it changed when we move from an in-person format to a Zoom format or from an indoor format to an outdoor format? I think we have these exciting sort of both forward-looking uh, technologies of, you know, a, a Zoom play, what is that like? That's a new thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but or or a these um relying on sort of traditions that have been around for for eons of the sort of outdoor theater and i think that's been an interesting shift to see how that like how i as a as a theater goer am sort of experiencing those different media
2: yeah
0: i feel like we could have a whole episode two about form in that way (laughs) uh like zoom theater i feel like i have so much to say about it um so i wrote my master's like major research project about Canadian theatre and, like, risky theatre. And there's this book that Jordan Tannehill wrote called Theatre of the Unimpressed. Mm. I don't know if... Have either of you read it? It's a really great read. It's, like, a, it's theory, but it's... Uh, not academic it is academic but it's like they sell it at indigo you know like it's a short little book that it's quite an easy read but like really intellectually stimulating this is not an ad for that book <laughs> <point. laughs> but uh it, one of like his main points is that he wants to see more risky theater and uh so i'm sort of getting off topic here but just briefly he, jordan Tannehill did this uh Live stream play back in 2013. And I had written in my paper that, you know, that was an example of how he he was bringing into his own practice. He was practicing what he was preaching, I guess, you know. But now the idea of a live stream play, like, that's not risky anymore. That's like, that was a necessity for two years. That was a, like, that was the new way that we had to do things. And so, I mean, I would be interested to hear what. He thinks about <laughs> about all of these new live stream plays and, you know, how we're meeting in the middle of theater and film in this really strange way. This is the JCR, a Massey podcast. I'm Elizabeth Hicks in conversation with Robbie Steele and Zahida Ramdala. In the latter half of this podcast, we take some of the previously discussed concepts about structure and expectations for theater and discuss them in relation to our experience as audience members of a new play, My Sister's Rage by Yolanda Bonnell. Thanks for joining us. I would love to get back to what you said at the beginning of what you were saying just now about your experience as an audience member and how that has changed. And I'm interested to hear what you both felt like being audience members in my sister's rage because that was an atypical situation. In that, I guess I could elaborate, there was not only direct address, but we were encouraged to respond to the character who was directly addressing us. And every performance was a relaxed performance, including the one that we were at, in that the lights were up a bit, you were welcome to leave and come back. And there were other accommodations, you know, in that way. But I guess from a talking about the show point of view, I'm interested in that encouragement for us to respond and to really be active.
1: Yeah, I, I think that there were sort of two main notable sort of uh, things that I think my sister's rage did, which is one, the sort of formal address. You had sort of like the, the audience was invited to sort of participate in the play, talk back that was sort of an interesting thing but I think one of the fundamental things that sort of allowed for that level of engagement from the audience was the very uh real world like care work that they did in that space of prior to the play asking everyone to uh show vaccine cards and um mask up and then uh, during the play itself saying you're free to leave or come as you need to making it an accessible space as much as possible within the confines introducing themselves and their characters at the beginning of the play, and as well as their um, pronouns, all of these sort of levels of what I think about as sort of care work, as like care for the audience, care for the space, really helped, uh, at least in my experience, I felt much more grounded in the space, much more willing to engage with the play, much more comfortable and much more also respectful of my fellow audience members. I, I, I it, it was, again, an invitation to think, you know, don't look forward, look to the sides as well.
2: No, yeah, I think that's so true. I think there's a really strong intent built in through things like the vaccine cards and just at the beginning, of the intro, with all the actors being like, don't worry, uh, you know, we'll leave the doors open, uh, things like that. And I, I like the word that you used, invitation, because I really, I felt like it was kind of, even the way the play was structured and then how at the end, they are kind of like, well, did one of the characters said, did you have a good time spending time with us tonight? Uh, and everyone was like, yeah. And I, <laughs> I felt like that's kind of what it was. Like, I felt like I was invited to come here to listen to some very um, like, meaningful stories of people to whom, and told with a lot of care, and people also telling it with care, and to whom it meant a lot to you. You could really feel that. And then, kind of like, and so there you go. That this is our offering to you. Thank you for sitting with us, which isn't always the case in in the theater. I think sometimes you really do feel like an audience. You're rushing in because, and I've been in places where um, you can't enter after you, if you're late five minutes, you've you've missed the play or you, you're holding it the whole time, <laughs> you know, and. And so this is quite different. Like I, I felt like I'm really invited as somebody that's in relationship with the people on the stage that I'm, well, you know, I'm expected to care for them. They're also caring for me. And something about that experience of this play was quite unique to me when I think about it. Yeah. yeah.
0: I think this idea of care was woven in from the the seed of the script and I don't know anything about the development or you know the production beyond what you know our experience as audience members but to me it was so evident like the way that the story was told it was obviously dealing with a lot of trauma but then we had our anti-neighbor it, sort of trickster-like character who was really there to take care of us and to look us in the eyes and tell us a joke and and say everything's going to be okay. And then, you know, you see the characters on stage taking care of each other. And I just think that this like indigenous way of being, indigenous way of knowing, was so present in, in the whole production of the thing, not just in the story. And I really appreciated that. It was really it was an afternoon you know like it was a whole experience and that's what i hoped it would be and i certainly wasn't disappointed let's talk before we end about structure as you both said that's something that you look for in a play a lot of the time or something that you're attracted to how do you think that my sister's rage interacted with that idea
1: I think that structure plays into the play really interestingly in the way in which it, it sort of recast this new um, uh, lens on sort of what is and effectively a, like a familiar generic structure of you know we have a a dying family member it brings up a lot of trauma the family comes together and we start processing that is not necessarily a new new concept but the way that the structure of the play, wove in these indigenous um, ways of knowing and um, had the audience um, sort of sit with it and experience it completely changed my (laughs) or completely revitalized this sort of structure and it felt so new and so fresh and the way that I think uh, structurally it it sort of allowed this was in this anti-character who was able to Step in and out of this narrator role, and by addressing both the audience and the characters as the this sort of uh, a liminal figure, mm-hmm. uh, but but really a go between between the audience and the 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 stage, and allowing. Uh, both the the characters on stage and the audience to process in different ways, and inviting them to process in different ways. It sort of engaged the audience in a sort of different way that I hadn't experienced before that was very, um, uh, again, caring. Mm
2: -hmm. No, I think that while the the play did have, like, it did follow a narrative arc, I think, Mm -hmm. sort of, and it did have kind of a beginning-middle, an end, but I also felt like when I was watching it, I I felt I think I said to you, Robbie, I was like, this kind of something about it feels like TV, and I don't I don't think that's right, but something about it felt very like, realist, I don't know just like, hanging out with the cousins that are on lawn chairs that have the hot dog bags and then being in the hospital, sitting on the hospital, sitting at the hospital with the sisters, and so I felt like I felt like a lot there is a lot of subtlety in the play and I felt like there's also a lot of subtlety in the arc that develops. Um, but at the end as an audience member, I think one thing people say when plays don't have an arc is that sometimes the audience member might not feel like satisfied or that they've received like kind of a closure or a resolution. But by but at the end and the way I think a lot through the auntie character that's also delivered because she's talking to you at the beginning and then she's kind of saying okay like thank you for coming at the end and I felt like that facilitated it a lot but throughout also I just felt like there was a lot of nuance in in the arcs of the stories themselves and in the overall arc and yeah something about also just the realism of the play I felt also facilitated that as well well
0: thank you two so much Mm -hmm. for chatting with me I think we should do it again Yeah, we should go see another play, and then have another talk.
1: I'm down. Thanks for having us. Yeah, (laughs) thanks for having us.
0: You've been listening to The JCR, a Massey podcast. I'm Elizabeth Hicks, joined by Robbie Steele and Zahida Ramtala. The JCR is a production of the Junior Fellows at Massey College at the University of Toronto. Thanks so much for joining the discussion.